Chair City, I sent out on the website um, this image of the uh, five little men watching uh, something and their responses to it. So for those who haven't seen it, uh, this is a uh, way that the San Francisco Chronicle, the local newspaper, uh, rated films by the reviewer, either really bad, I'm out of here, didn't stay, uh, really boring, I'm falling asleep, wow, this movie is incredible, or this, this uh, dramatic theater is really incredible, I'm jumping out of my seat uh, to, oh, mildly interesting, and then there's, there's somebody in the middle that's just sitting upright, like so. So this uh, emoji has been around since 1942, and I hadn't really thought about it because I don't look at the Chronicle. I remember seeing it years ago uh, when I was working at the store, people would leave the paper. But uh, when I started sitting in a chair, that day or the next day, the image of that little guy in the middle stood out. Oh, sitting upright in a chair. Yeah, Ross, you got to learn how to do this now. And you get to watch the movie of your life sitting in a chair versus a cushion. So, um, Sojin once said, it's not so much what happens to you, it's how you deal with it. Because different things happen to us in different times and different ways. If we compare and contrast how these things happen, what they're about, why we, and that sort of stuff. And while that's important, the more important thing is how do you deal with this? How do you lessen or deal with this suffering that you're feeling in a way in which you can continue to carry on your life in a way that you really want to live your life? It's often thought of that the, the uh, word crisis in uh, Chinese character means uh, opportunity. But on a closer examination, there's actually a little nuance to that. And uh, we're not getting into entomology. Uh, uh, the translations and stuff, which I'm not hip to, what I did learn is that it's closer to crisis is actually change point. The change point when, when one feels like they're in a crisis. And uh, dharmically speaking, we can see that um, the point of practice is that things change and to go with those changes. So we hit, hit a crisis this change point is, is waking us up to, okay, Ross, what do you do about this? So when my arthritic knee, which had been painful for quite a while, kind of said, enough, Ross, back in November, I, okay, I'm going to sit in a chair now. So I was disappointed at first. That was the first thought I had. And then I realized, you know, I'm actually, I'm actually connecting to people now sitting in chairs or on benches or laying down the floor to some degree. Everybody has their own experience, but now rather than thinking about what it must be like to sit in a chair, what it must be like to have to get up and get down and stretch and do all these sort of things or find a bench that fits, well, now I have the experience of it versus thinking about it. So I felt this connection to Sangha in a deeper way than I had before, because it wasn't just an idea. It was it's a body experience. It was this body experience that I was having. 
So the little man is reading movies or theater. And uh, the little man is, this little man here is reading my movie. And am I jumping up and down because I'm all excited about that? So Roshi said, okay, you can have a late entrustment uh, ceremony. Uh, am I madly uh, happy that I'm feeling some comfort today and I'm around my Dharma friends and family? Uh, am I a little sleepy? Uh, am I checked out? Well, it's, I'm definitely not checked out. I feel very awake and alive and happy to be here with my uh, Dharma family. And so all those states of mind and body that happen, constantly changing. So what's the standard by which we um, practice? So the man, the monk, the monk in the middle, the monkey in the middle, um, uh, reminded me of a childhood um, game playground in school called monk, uh, Monkey in the Middle. So you're in the middle, people are surrounding you, they throw a ball at you. And a softball is a ball. And if you catch it, then you get out of the middle and they have to go into the middle person through it. So that was just a game from decades ago. And I'm thinking, monkey in the middle. And I'm thinking, well, drop the EY and it's monk in the middle. Well, we all are monks or nuns in the middle, in the middle of our life. And how do we deal with the balls that are being thrown at us? Do we dodge the ball or do we catch the ball? Well, in practice, we just receive the ball. There's an impulse to dodge something we don't like or grasp something that we do like. That's called clinging. That's called attachment. How do we just sit here and just receive this really miserable movie of my life that's going on now? Oh, Jesus, how can I? Uh, I want to change the channel. Okay, this is fun. Yeah, oh, I remember that. That's really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We go through all that sort of stuff upright posture and watch. So movie directors want you to jump out of your seat and Buddha wants you to stay in your seat. When I thought of that, it reminded me of Sojin's uh, admission that maybe his first Sashin or so back in 64, he, uh, he left Sashin. He was in San Francisco at Sakoji on Bush Street. And he went walking around. I think Hunter's Point was one, one landmark that he mentioned. So he was walking around San Francisco. He didn't talk about what was going on in his mind so much. But one can imagine, as we all have been in situations we want to not be in, I'm going to leave and walk around and just get some air. And he realized that there was no place to go. He had no other place to go except just come back to the Zendo. And that's what he did. And he stayed on his cushion for all those years. So this monk in the middle, you can imagine like a seesaw, is like a fulcrum. So one's life is balanced if you're in the middle and not waving too much on the side of excitement and entertainment, or on the other side of boredom and like I'm out of here, I don't like it here. So how do we just stay in the middle of that fulcrum? So it's a balancing act. This little book that was given to me by Bob Zepernick, the Shuso President, Yogin Senzaki's uh, book of talks. And 
there's a page, there's a section called Ten Questions, which is unlike, not unlike uh, Ben Doa in Dogen, who has, uh, leads off with questions. And the question someone asks is, what does a Buddhist believe or worship? You remember this is 1953. The words believe and worship are unfamiliar to Buddhists because they do not believe but understand, understand from experience. And they do not worship but they practice what they understand. 1953. As Kappa Roshi said, the best book on Buddha Dharma is the one that you put down and start sitting from that inspired you to sit zazen. Also in 1953, I found this uh, warm and comforting. He's talking about sitting in a chair. <laughs> now he's not sitting in a chair as an alternative to sitting in a cushion. Uh, I believe that uh, he and others felt that came over from Japan and Asia in the 50s that uh, Zazen wasn't available to Westerners because they were used to sitting in chairs and not crossing their legs. So he, uh, it appears, tweaked Dogen's Fukan Zazenki, which are his instructions on sitting Zazen with the cross-leggedness activity that he learned in, in China. But in um, dear old Senzaki Sensei, he says, sit down in a chair with a large cushion in a manner as comfortable as possible. I wonder if we last for something like that. Wear the clothing loosely and remove your shoes, but keep your feet in a pair of warm slippers. That is like so cozy. I'm going to go do that when I get home. Uh, in tea ceremony, Chano Yu, uh, the position that the tea uh, master uh, assumes is Seiza, which is sitting on your legs with your knees on, in front of you, uh, upright. And that's very hard for people. Uh, who aren't used to practicing Chanoyu. And so in tea ceremony, uh, for Westerners, they devised a table and chair, surprise. And uh, they did all the forms of it, except you're not sitting uh, down on the floor. And when I was thinking about this uh, phenomenon of practice and cultural differences, inclusivity, exclusivity, uh, I was reminded of a story of Sojin when he was doing, or he was a guest at a tea ceremony with Suzuki Roshi. And they're sitting on the floor, and uh, I imagine people's knees were hurting a little bit. But nevertheless, part of the ceremony is passing the tea bowl around and admiring it. And what does Sojin do by his own admission? Well, he picks the cup up like this, and he's, you know, looking around, and it's oh, really pretty. You know, Sojin was an artist, so he, I'm sure he appreciated the aesthetics. But being new to practice, he wasn't maybe so hip to the forms that uh, Suzuki Roshi was trying to encourage him to uh, follow. So Suzuki Roshi um, tells him, no, you don't bring the cup up to you like this and look around. You come down to it on the floor. You come down to it, and you admire it that way. It's stable on the floor. You got to get this up. It's stable on the floor, and you're coming to it. You're not bringing it to you. Like, I want this. It's selfish. You come to it. You defer, and you come forward. It's a practice opportunity.
in then my beginner's mind in the posture chapter Suzuki Roshi says these forms are not a means of obtaining the right state of mind to take this posture itself is the purpose of our practice when you have this posture you have the right state of mind there is no need to try to attain some other special state. It's reminding me of a Joko Beck quote, who uh, is purported to have said that Zen is something uh, that you, um, uh, that Excuse me. Then it's about taking things away, not putting things in. So by taking things away, by sitting still upright and not moving about and doing all sorts of things, you're in a sense taking things away or allowing things to drop away, if you will. And then what happens is the natural order of mind and body appear. So it's like you're doing something by not doing or non-doing. There's no need to, take, uh, um, to attain a special state of mind. There's a cartoon of the New Yorker years ago that Gahan Wilson did of these, an old monk and a young monk sitting on the tatami mat. And um, uh, the caption says, nothing happens next. This is it. And the little you know, young monk is like, I want something else to happen. And this is something that we've been reminded about over and over and over again. Nothing else happens, just this. But something is happening moment by moment. It's just that we're not watching for it because we're anticipating something. We want something else to happen. My grandmother, my Ukrainian grandmother, rest her soul, used to say, this is it. Now she wasn't giving a Dharma talk and she probably, I doubt she had any uh, experience with Buddhism, but I thought about this uh, thing that she used to say, this is it. And the way she said it, uh, what I got out of it was, this is it. Like this, and it was usually, about something that wasn't going her way or her grandson's way or just the world's way. This is just how it is. You know, she and her family, you know, escaping the pogroms in Ukraine came over to America. This is it. This is it. This is it. It's just a matter of fact acceptance of this is it or things as it is, as Suzuki Roshi used to say. Suzuki Roshi continues, the most important point is to own your own physical body. If you slump, you will lose yourself. Your mind will be wandering about somewhere else. You will not be in your body. This is not the way. We must exist right here, right now. This is the key point. You must have your own body and mind. 
everything should exist in the right place, in the right way. Then there is no problem. If the microphone I use when I speak exists somewhere else, thank you, Yoni, for the reminder, <laughs> it will not serve its purpose. Now, that coincidence of Yoni's request for the microphone and reading Suzuki Roshi, this kind of thing happens a lot. This was not planned. And as I said earlier, if you, if you stay with the practice, my experience is, if I, as I've stayed with the practice, more and more these coincidences arrive and the answer is revealed. There's a story about Richard Baker not picking up a telephone when it was ringing. And he was working on some koan, some question. I don't know what it was. It didn't, the story didn't, didn't include that. And he finally got up to pick up the phone after 13 rings. And the answer was on the other end of the line. And it didn't say what it was. It was like, OK, it's a call from emptiness. I'm not one, I'm not so woo-woo, I'm not so like, mm, what's going on there, this theory? Just accept it, it's, it's a support from the universe. So how do we exist right here in this place right now? What can we do? How do we do that? through body, speech, and mind. Well, thinking kind of naturally happens, and talking comes pretty easily, usually. But the body and the actions, that's something that we can actually work uh, to bring our posture and our comportment to the present. Um, and we all have different ways of doing that. Um, one thing I like to do after I eat out at a restaurant is to put the chair back in under the table as I found it. And rather than uh, kind of bunching up my napkin, just leaving the utensils on the plate, whatever, let the, let the server take it away, I try to um, fold up the napkin and arrange the utensils in some kind of aesthetic way on the plate, parallel to one another. So kind of like we do an Oriyoku with our chopsticks. And I have a good sense that it's just going to get picked up and put in the um, dishwashing bin, and that's okay. But for myself and for my own centering and appreciation for what I just had at the restaurant, it's a way of giving back, my way of thinking. Um, so uh, we all find our own way to find our center, because Zazen according to Suzuki Roshi, never ended, even though we do have bells and timers. And thank you, Gary, for keeping time today. I'm aware of the time, and I know that where we're at on that. Another Suzuki Roshi quote from the posture chapter. So try always to keep the right posture, not only when you practice Zazen, but in all your activities. Take the right posture when you are driving your car and when you are reading. If you read in a slump position, you cannot stay awake long. Try. 
you will discover how important it is to keep the right posture. This is the true teaching. The teaching which is written on paper is not the true teaching. Written teaching is a kind of food for your brain. Of course, it is necessary to take some food for your brain, but it is more important to be yourself by practicing the right way of life. Asoan Roshi, the Rinzai teacher, came over from uh, Japan in uh, probably the 60s and a very active teacher in the 70s. And he was uh, quoted a lot in New York where the head monk uh, and many students uh, there had been studying with him. And he died in the 80s. I came across a quote of his. Although I sometimes say that Zen is not to be found in a posture like that of Rodin's thinker, you know, Rodin's thinking, West, kind of the Western model thinking about something, versus the Buddhist posture of not thinking or non-thinking upright. On the other hand, one of the most beautiful Bodhisattva statues, that of the Bodhisattva Maitreya, the Bodhisattva of the future, which is found in Nara, which is a particular statue he's referring to, shows him precisely in the posture of the thinker. And uh, we have a little picture of that uh, Maitreya Buddha uh, in the patio bathroom. And I should have taken a picture of it to show you, but basically uh, it looks like this. Camera down. Okay, so you don't see my head, but you got the cross leg, and he's got his hand up on his um, on his cheek, kind of like what we do. He's like this. He's thinking, and so uh, so in Roshi's commentary on uh, on that uh, seeming anomaly, anomaly, anomaly is. He's probably thinking about how to save all sentient beings. This bodhisattva then meditates in the posture of the thinker. So my take on that is, it's okay to ponder, it's okay to think. It's what we think about that's the most important thing. And how do we help others? Well, thank you all for your uh, conscious listening. And uh, if anyone has any questions or comments, you can raise your digital hand and I'll see it on the computer. And uh, if anyone has a non-digital hand in the room, um, I see Peter Overton. Thank you, Rose. Yes, Peter. So I have been trying to figure out how to sit in your chair for a number of years now, uh, since I found myself not able to sit cross legged on the ground. And uh, so I was very interested in talk, because we heard that in the beginning it was going to be about sitting in the chair. And uh, I'm trying to ask a question about that. Because I find the difficulty that I'm facing, just 
now getting a clue about how to, how to deal with it is um, how to find and return to uh, my seat in my upright and balanced posture. And I thought um, one way to ask this question is um, uh, and I have also heard uh, Sozan talk about giving yourself the Zazen instruction as you take your seat. So I'm wondering how you would, uh, if you say anything different than what appears in the Kuganda Bendi, if you were instructing people how to sit in the chair, how to find your seat, and your upright balance posture. Good question. So you can ask. I'm going to do that. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Hassan. Uh, Peter was uh, very interested in uh, the theme for the talk today because he's been sitting in the chair for a while and is trying to find his um, seat, so to speak, and wondering if, it's, if finding a seat in a chair is different than uh, Dogen's uh, teachings and the forms that he impressed upon uh, people and how do, I think, imply is how do I do it? How have I been working with this for the past five months? Well, interestingly enough, I didn't think about going over Zazen posture so much when I was on the cushion, even though Soju Roshi would say, give yourself Zazen instruction when your mind starts uh, wavering. But now that I'm kind of back at a beginner's place, so to speak, trying to find my seat in my chair, I find myself doing that. And even though I'm not uh, working with cross legs, I am feeling the feet on the floor, I feel my butt on the front third of the chair, ears aligned with my shoulder, nose aligned with my navel, chin tucked in, and I do that. Now, it's more comfortable for me sitting in a chair than it was uh, sitting cross-legged uh, with the condition I've got, but that's just my koan because it doesn't mean everything else is easy. There's a gazillion parts to our bodies and mind, and at any moment, one or two are being activated <laughs> and reminding us of our suffering and discomfort. So um, there's not enough time to go line by line through Fukan Zazengi, but I'm curious about your question. I am going to look at it again. I like uh, uh, Sezaki's uh, teaching of sitting in a chair, find your comfort, and wear some warm slippers. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's almost enough for me. I like incense, so I'd probably offer a stick of incense. But, um, so it's not a practice of austerity, even though it looks like that, because we're like this, and we're not just like this. Um, but nevertheless, we have uh, uh, an opportunity to find comfort within the discomfort that we feel. Is that approach it? Yeah, thank you. Uh, Nick Robinson. Hey, Ross. Hey, buddy. Thanks for uh, your talk today. Uh, thank, you for, thank you, too. And thank you for being our librarian. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, I, I, it was, your talk was very relevant to me. I've been chair sitting now for uh, a couple of years, maybe a little uh, bit more, after a long time ago sitting on the cushion for a bunch of years. And uh, one thing I wanted to share is um, in the cushion sitting days, 
I would often have a kind of an image of a deeply rooted tree. If I found myself um, lacking something in, in my uh, rootedness, then I would call up that image and pretend to be that, that tree and have a very solid rooted feeling that was helpful to me in uh, days of sitting uh, uh, half lotus. Uh, in the chair, uh, the image that comes to mind is more like a blade of grass. Huh. Very light, uh, very uh, able to be blown this way or that way, because I don't have the same rooted feeling that the uh -huh. posture on the cushion uh, provided for me. It feels like uh, almost like a weightless feeling. Yeah. And uh, that's very pleasurable, actually. Oh, um, man. I am so glad you said all that. I wanted to share that with you. Yeah. And everybody else, did everybody hear that? Yeah. yeah. Um, it reminds me that in sitting in this wooden chair, which comes from trees and roots, the wood goes down to the floor, the four legs onto this wooden floor. So there actually is a rootedness, even though it doesn't seem like that. And I really like the image of the blade of grass moving, but it reminds me what Sojin said, if he came by and like tapped your shoulder, you should be able to, you should fall and not be this rigid thing. So those are really good reminders for all of us, whether we're sitting on a cushion, bench, chair, or laying down. Thank you, Nick. Gee. Thank you, Ross. You're welcome. Um, while you were uh, speaking, I had an image come from uh, an old Woody Allen movie where he, uh, he flashbacks to where he's in high school and he wants to join the marching band, but he plays cello. So he has to carry a chair and the cello and scramble and, you know, like he, and then, and I just, I thought, um, maybe if you could say a word about posture and finding our balance, um, as what we carry with us, how we relate to that. Good question. Uh, Judy uh, reminisced about a Woody Allen movie where he wanted, as a high school kid, he wanted to be in the marching band, but he had a tuba? A cello. A cello, and he had to carry, okay. he had some instrument, he had to carry a chair with him in the marching band, which of course is not the nature of marching band that I grew up with. And uh, if I could say something about... Find the balance. Yeah. Well, um, I remember uh, it may have been Susan Green asking the question. She was a, a member here, now deceased, talking about how to do zazen when I'm up in a tree pruning and all of that because that's not sitting cross-legged. And um, I could like it. I don't know what her experience was. I can only talk about my own. When I was at Pete's uh, Coffee on the over-the-counter, doing the coffee and tea thing with customers and whatnot, how do I maintain my practice at work? Well, 
In between customers, I would put my hands behind my apron in Shashu. I would try to keep my back upright. I wouldn't keep my eyes lowered because then people, I'd probably get fired for like not making eye contact with customers. Bad for business. And uh, I would meet people. So that was a, a simple form uh, that I uh, did. Uh, the business around the, uh, leaving a restaurant and leaving it better than I found it, or at least equal to, is a way of uh, finding balance. Because for, for my sensibilities, leaving the chair askew and stuff all over the table feels out of balance. And there's something going on uh, around presentation that uh, exhibits balance, just like all the forms that we follow here at BZC. Um, and formal ceremonies like tea ceremony or flower arranging, that sort of thing. There's a form. And for practice, from a practice uh, point of view, my sensibilities lean toward that neat, ordered, right angle stuff. And when things are not at the right angle, I, I sense it and I feel it. And so my practice is, Ross, do you have to tweak it and make it right angled? or can you just let it go? And my apologies to each and every one of you. If I've been short with anyone around um, uh, reminders of form correction or form, uh, just form reminders, I don't like the word correction, but the reminders, I have a tendency to do that. And, um, uh, the last thing I see Gary Stryker, the last thing I'd like to say about that is um, it's not the sigh, it's the thought which escapes me. Um, oh, if you stay in practice, stay with practice long enough, you will see things change. And one of the things that's changed uh, in me is that I've become a little more accepting, a little more tolerant, and a little more open to uh, different ways of thinking, different ways of being, different ways of demonstrating a world of around a person. And even though it registers as different than me, uh, to go back to the uh, theme of posture, comportment, and inclusivity, how can I remain inclusive? How can I remain connected to someone who I have difficulty with or I've had a history of being difficult with? And um, uh, Susan Marvin told a story about that same Susan Green uh, yelling at Mel in his office years ago about something and she was outside pulling weeds. And a few days after that, uh, Susan Asked Sojin, Sojin, how could you take that and just all that, you know, whatever she said, abuse or argument, that energy, it's just so, uh, how'd you do that? And he said, I just looked at the other side of Susan. So what is that other side? We all have that other side, so-called other side. But when it's integrated into this side, then we can accept people's half good and half bad. And I can say, I'm still working on that. And I'm working on the half good and half bad that's in me.
and fully accepting that. Thank you all very much. And um, enjoy the rest of your life. Good morning. Before we leave, I wanted to make a couple of announcements. First is that our dear friend and longtime Sangha member, Paul Farber, passed away yesterday. He practiced here for a long time. He's a treasurer. He's married to Jerry Oliva, and uh, he died from a combination of illnesses. And so our hearts are with Paul, with Jerry and their family. And there are a couple of cards out on the uh, bulletin board uh, shelf. If you would like to send a message to Jerry and Paul's family, please write a note there. Appreciate it. And we'll let people know about whatever ceremonies might be coming in the, in the near future. The other thing I wanted to say is that uh, one of Suzuki Roshi's early disciples, Senju Paul Disco, uh, whom some of you may know of, he's a master builder and carpenter and really you know, all around Zen uh, treasure. Uh, Paul lives nearby, and he's retired, and he has uh, asked if he can just come and sit here in the courtyard uh, on Tuesday mornings. He'll be here from about 10.30 or 11, and uh, just, just come and talk to him, visit with him, and he'll come to Zazen, I think, at noon. But, uh, this is just a real, it's a, just a great opportunity uh, to meet with somebody who really is at the, the heart of our tradition. And uh, you get to know him. And uh, he would like to get to know you. So, yeah. Again, didn't he uh, design the altar? Or? Yeah, yes, he designed this altar. I don't think, I think one of his assistants built this altar. And he built uh, structures around San Francisco Zen Center, Green Gulch, and Tassajara. Uh, uh, and uh, he's deeply rooted in, in practice, and that's what he's doing at this stage. So, so please come and sit with